iTunes presents Meet the Filmmaker at the Apple Store. Ladies and gentlemen, once again, good afternoon and welcome to the Apple Store Soho. We're very pleased that you could join us for today's special Meet the Filmmaker event. Meet the Filmmaker is a podcast series that you can find on iTunes by searching for Meet the Filmmaker. It brings you up close and personal with some of today's top filmmakers. Los Bandoleros is the short film that was written, produced, and directed by Vin Diesel. The film is available as a free download with the purchase of Fast and Furious. And the short film reveals the events leading up to the hit film Fast and Furious. Before we introduce today's special guests, we invite you to enjoy this short promotional trailer. A lot has changed. Right. Now, think fast. Live Furious. It's the best of the Fast and Furious movies. Ride or die. Including the original short film, Los Bandoleros. Fast and Furious. Moderating today's special event is guest Dave Schwartz. At this time, please join me in welcoming the director of Los Bandoleros and the star of the hit film, Fast and Furious. Please welcome Vin Diesel and Dave Schwartz. Okay, just so you know, I'm David Schwartz, and this is Vin Diesel. And uh, welcome, and congratulations both on Fast and Furious and your movie, Los Bandoleros, that you direct, wrote and directed. Thank you, thank you. So, um, so uh, I want to ask you, first of all, since we just saw the trailer, I think you've probably been asked this a lot, but what, what made you decide to do Fast and Furious? This is the fourth film in the series, and you, you are kind of deliberate about doing sequels, so you really... Um, you know, waited a while to decide to do this. What made this one right? Uh, <laughs> now that Los Bandoleros is here, I could, <laughs> I could actually try to describe it in full detail. This whole Fast and Furious uh, franchise, this second part of this franchise, which started with this movie, really started with the cameo in Tokyo Drift. I was in a country uh, called the Dominican Republic, and I was there working with the president to create a film school for our underserved communities. Right, through your foundation that supports Through my foundation, yeah. through the One Race Global Film Foundation. Right. Um, and so I'm in the DR talking to the president about creating this program. Uh, simultaneously, my father is teaching at NYU, uh, teaching the media program at NYU, and has already done 10 plus years of these summer programs that, are, that teach you how to do film intensely, right? right? I get the call from Universal that they have made a film called Tokyo Drift. They have tested it. And what came back from their test audience was that the, the fans, the diehard fans of Fast and Furious, felt like they had been waiting long enough for the characters that they knew. I was in a position, because I had already turned down two films, two sequels, uh, because I never felt like there was a true sequel in a Francis Ford Coppola-like way, 
uh, for the first film that, that we did called The Fast and the Furious. By Francis Ford Coppola, I'm assuming you mean good story. I mean, <laughs> when I say Francis Ford Coppola, I mean the father of, of episodic film. Right. I mean a guy who uh, gave us the textbook example of what sequels should be. God, yeah. Godfather, Godfather too. Godfather too. Godfather, pretty much Which, right. is the quintessential yeah. uh, trilogy. Right. Uh, and so, believe it or not, I'm in the DR and I get this phone call. And I have no idea what the entry is conceptually for this continuation of this franchise. In fact, I thought by the time Tokyo Drift had come out, it was pretty much a waning franchise. It was right. not, a lot, not a lot of other places to go. But I still heard the fans of the first film and of the franchise calling out wanting more of that first story, which is, in many ways that first Fast and Furious is a story of family. Right. Uh, it's decorated by amazing cars. It was popularized by its, its commentary on illegal streetcar racing. But at the core of it, and I think what people connected the most with Fast and Furious yeah. was this sense of family. It was you and Paul Walker, and, they want, and the fans wanted to see you yeah, and Jordana Brewster and Michelle right. Rodriguez together. That's right. Yeah. Uh, so I was, this may make no sense, but I was, I was in between press conferences in the Dominican Republic riding around on a bicycle on a very popular avenue called the Malacón Center. And there was a kid that was shining shoes and selling mixed DVDs. <laughs> and I said, no, you know, I'm wearing sneakers. I, there's no need in shining my shoes, but I'll take some of those DVDs you're selling. Yeah. And I bought some of the uh, CDs, okay. music CDs. Okay. And I bought some of the music CDs, and one of the tracks gave me my entranceway to the Fast and Furious franchise. For some reason, one of the tracks inspired me to want to return to the Dom Toretto character. Or for me, as crazy as it sounds, justified me returning to the Dom Toretto character. Was that the song called Los Bandoleros? That was okay. the song called Los Bandoleros. Hence as an homage to that song of inspiration, right. I named the short film Los Bandoleros. Okay, now the short film is really interesting because it is basically a prequel to Fast and Furious. It, it sort of sets, in a way, we'll talk, it's, it's different in style, yeah. but it sets up the characters coming back together. Uh -huh. um, can we, let's look at a, a scene. We, we have sure. a few scenes, so it, let's just run the first scene from Los Bandoleros. Can you explain to me who's the Chinese guy? Looks like you've been really moving up in the world. Who's this guy, man? <laughs> Abajo. Vamos, 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 vamos. Tato. Vamos. Santo, Han, Han Santo. You look like That means a lot coming from you. 
But how come we can't stay in a hotel, huh? Oh, complaining already. But like air conditioning, you know? Like room service. See, you guys love each other. Like a TV. Okay. So tell us uh, what inspired this. This was um, the film that you wrote and directed. And it, it's a great little film. It has, um, it's, it's sort of a mood piece. It captures an almost documentary flavor, what it's really like down there in Dominican Republic. It, it, it's got the characters from Fast and Furious. It's got music. It's got a little social commentary, political commentary. Um, I know this is going to sound crazy, but when I was thinking about my entrance back to the, the franchise, and, you know, I was apprehensive because I had already made this worldwide statement that I wasn't taking the $20 million offer <laughs> because the script wasn't right. Of course, there were fans all over the world that said, we don't give a shit about the script. Just do it. <laughs> we, we want our characters up there. But for me... Uh, Maybe because my father's a writer. Who, who knows why I, I was so adamant about having a quality story. When I thought about how the franchise could live again, I envisioned three movies. This Fast and Furious was the first one. Los Bandoleros was the preparation for this next chapter in the Fast and the Furious. The way I finally was able to realize shooting Los Bandoleros was I was on the set of Fast and Furious. Uh, I had kind of promised the, the president of the Dominican Republic while he was creating the film school, this philanthropic thing, I kind of promised him I was going to bring a major Hollywood franchise to the country. Right. And we were running out of money on the, on the principal production. And the studio said, uh, what if we gave you a few hundred thousand dollars? Would you want to go down to the Dominican Republic and tell the backstory?" Hmm. And I said, of course. I hadn't directed in 10 years. The last time I directed was Strays. Feature film Strays, yeah. It's a feature film. And we were in Sundance in 1997, and nobody heard about me directing again because <laughs> I got, you know, uh, whisked off to you the... You became busy with some other things. Busy. But you, busy. Yeah. But you had made a movie, a short film called Multifacial, which was actually important in launching your career. Is that totally. true? Totally. Yeah. The, the irony about that, and, and something we'll probably talk later about, is this new 20-minute format. Which isn't new uh, in multifacial. Multifacial was a 20 minute movie. Right. And multifacial was a movie. It's interesting to talk about multifacial because I was an unemployed actor for 20 years. Uh, I had already gone out to California to try to be a star and failed and had to come back home to New York and look at all my friends that were bouncers <laughs> that I said, I'm going to leave you guys as bouncers. I'm going to go be a movie star. I had to come back and ask for a job again. Uh, and I, successful people say, if you can't do it all, do what you can. I was trying to make Strays a feature film. I couldn't get it made. I couldn't get the funding for it. So I decided to do a 20-minute short film. The subject matter I chose for this 20-minute short film 
was my reality as a multicultural actor. Trying to get cast, trying to get Trying work. to get cast in New York as a multicultural actor. Hmm. How would you place me? Right. Who would you, <laughs> what role would I play in Glory? <laughs> or anything, you know, <laughs> or officer and a gentleman. Where would I? Right. So I wanted to make this film, this commentary about being an actor, struggling actor in New York. And I made it, and I went to the Cannes Film Festival with it, mm -hmm. and started to get some recognition, which was cool. And then I went to California, back to California, and worked as a telemarketer, because <laughs> I was so fed up with the fact that I wasn't making my feature film. You have a great voice for telemarketing. I, I have a pretty good voice, and I could change my voice if I need to. <laughs> <laughs> I had... Uh, I was so frustrated that I wasn't making my feature film and I had went to Cannes and I thought that I'd get the money to make this feature that I was working on before Multifacial. And so I, I guess I, I gave up on the fantasy of somebody giving me money and I went to California. I, a friend of mine was selling tools over the phone and said, I can get you a job selling tools. So I went out to California and I worked for 18 months selling tools, and my buddy and I saved $47,000, and we came back to New York, and we shot Strays. And then Robert Redford saw Strays, and invited me to come and participate in the Sundance competition. Now you've worked with some good directors. I mean, I'm guessing that you probably learned a little bit about directing from working with Steven Spielberg, sure. and Brad Bird, um, with The Iron Giant, and sure. Sidney Lumet. <laughs> I, the, one of the greatest things about working with those accomplished directors, directors that are, have, have been role models to, to different degrees, is the education. I, I, was, I, was a, I, I am and was a New Yorker. And as a New Yorker, we, are, we have a certain kind of cockiness that can be misunderstood, I guess. It's just a confidence, right? So when I was shooting Saving Private Ryan, I would go up to set 20 minutes before everybody else would go to set just so I could talk to Steven Spielberg about important story issues. <laughs> and like, I had never been paid as an actor before. Right. So uh, it was probably shocking for him at first that this kid, Vin Diesel, has notes about the story, wants to talk about the story of Saving Prior Ryan. But he might have respected that because he got his job at Universal by sneaking onto the That's right. Universal lot and just like taking an office there. You're, you're absolutely right. He respected it so much that for the month that I wasn't working while they were shooting the Matt Damon portion, right. he gave me a 35 millimeter camera to operate, mm. which cost more than my whole salary. So it was, if I broke the thing because it was a handheld and I was, I don't know <laughs> what I would have done. To operate for use in his film? or In Saving Private Ryan. Really? Yeah. Huh. I mean, it, it, it's, <laughs> it, was, it was more the education of it. It was more the D camera that nobody's using. Put yeah. that on Vin's shoulder and see what he can do. Yeah. I don't know if any of the shots ever made it in there. Yeah. But that says something about Steven Spielberg. The experience of Saving Private Ryan said everything to me about what my role in the industry would be. I'll explain that. 
he's making say, the thing I discovered by I'm so lucky to have been introduced to Hollywood via Steven Spielberg on an experience like Saving Private Ryan because I had just got through making a $47,000 picture and now I was making a $67 million picture mm -hmm. with the biggest stars in the world. And what I realized about Steven Spielberg is it didn't matter how much money he had made, how many accolades he had received, he was still trying to make magic, which is something an independent director solely relies on, how to make that magic. And I saw it in a big Hollywood production, and it, was, it almost confirmed that that's how sacred I have to be in making movies. Mm which led to the last decade of me either saying, feeling comfortable about a franchise or not feeling comfortable about a franchise. And um, Sidney Lumet, who you worked with more recently, and he gave you a great role um, in, in Find Me Guilty, which is a terrific comedy, and um, that surprised a lot of people, uh, uh, you know, the kind of role you played. Uh, it definitely surprised a lot of people because it was for a 59-year-old character. I mean, it wasn't... <laughs> It really, it, when you think about it, it made kind of no sense to hire Vin to right. play that Al Pacino role. Right. But you guys are dynamos. Like, he, at 82 years old, he's like almost your energy level. You must more been, energy than me. You must have been amazing together on the set. It was, hands down, my best experience yeah. uh, making movies. Because... When I was trying to do multifacial, I didn't go to film. My twin brother went to film school and is an editor now. But I didn't go to film school. I was bouncing. Uh, so I needed to learn how to direct really quickly. Uh, one of the books that I used to kind of learn how to direct or feel confident about it was, Sid, uh, was Sidney Lumet's Making Movies. Yeah, which is the best book about the filmmaking process. Which step really, by step. Yeah, it really is a wonderful book about if you feel, even if you're making a three-minute short film, yeah. uh, I would highly recommend um, learning whatever Sidney Lumet could teach you from those books. So let's, uh, we, we have, I want to get back to Les Bandoleros because sure. you did such a great job. Let's look at the second clip and then we'll talk a little bit more about this. Yeah. And this is a movie that, by the way, you can uh, download at iTunes. It ain't that hard to track you down. All I gotta do is follow the odor of skanks. Letty. Life has a way of changing one's plans. <laughs> Change of plans. Where do we sleep? Mexico, 
so tell us a little bit about how you sort of put this film together. It's 18 minutes long, but there's so, you almost feel like you're watching a little feature film. There's so many different things going on in it. It's funny that you say that. Ron Meyer, who uh, runs Universal, yeah. called me after watching Los Bandoleros and said, why didn't you give me a whole film? <laughs> uh, how did, uh, the, the, I know this sounds crazy. I probably shouldn't say this, but I was looking at my Facebook page. Wait, how many people are, are on his Facebook as... You, you have the best... Yeah. Okay, but you should all sign up for it. You have, you have the best Facebook oh, page. thank you. It's very... Because uh, it's really it's your sincere. thing. It's sincere, yeah. It's you. It's really yeah. you, it seems like. It's the monkey, yeah. <laughs> but go ahead. So you, yeah. Uh, <laughs> and someone said... It was, it was someone from Uruguay that had just seen Los Bandoleros and said, thank you for showing the reality in these countries that you might not see in the Hollywood version of movies. Right. The tough times and how tough times impact these uh, underserved communities. And how hard it is for them to get like a half a gallon of gasoline. Yeah, yeah. And, and the fact that they could relate uh, to this film and feel, I guess, vindicated in some way that with Fast and Furious, we were also showing the flip side. Um, that's cool. Mm -hmm. that, that was incredibly flattering. Uh, but extremely accurate. Because what I was trying to do was show, was to flesh out these characters that you see for, you see Don Omar and Tego, Caldador, you see them in the movie, but I really wanted to give you the depth behind who they were. Mm -hmm. um, Tego Calderon does an amazing job in this movie uh, and thanked me after production, mm. after we wrapped this picture. Mm. He said, in music, to sell records, sometimes I can't be as controversial as I'd like to be. Yeah. But the fact that you created this character that I can hide behind, right. that I can get some distance from, I can really pour out what I really think about the world. Okay. And that's what he does in the opening piece. And the film really has some things to say about the legal system sure. and about corporations and how you know, poor people are really paying the sure. price for being part a of this system. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. So, so you have, and, and then even when Tego is broken out of prison, you see me commenting on something. Uh, there's a lot of uh, minorities and New Yorkers uh, all over the world that feel like there is a slightly unfair, that they're at a disadvantage that they're more prone to being incarcerated. Mm -hmm. It's a state of mind. I mean, you could talk to people in this audience that have never been incarcerated before, and I'm sure that their, experience, their reality of that is different. Some people feel like, you know, so many of my friends have been incarcerated for all kinds of stuff. It's, it's, it, you know, it's inevitable that the government is going to find some reason why I'm in trouble. So the breaking out of prison scene was deliberately done like with crayons, like nothing, like the easiest breakout in history. 
And then the comments that follow where Tego Calderon is saying, I need to change my clothes, I need to get out of this prison mentality, is the statement. Uh, so there was, there was something about freeing the mind of our viewers from that, feel, that oppressed feeling, feeling like they can't win. Does that make sense? Yeah, sure. And even the, the, the kind of wink-wink prison breakout was in service of that. Uh, the kind of fun looking in the mirror... Now I'm, you know, thank you for making me look so beautiful, that thing that Tego does. But, you know, following the, I, I want to lose this prison mentality. Yeah. Uh, even the things that he says in the prison, you know, I'm not going to be here that long. Guys, wake up. Mm -hmm. uh, all those were, were, were important statements to, to wrap around this franchise. And I'm just going to ask one more thing, then I want to open it up for questions. Sure. But um, this, I think, to me, relates to what you're, tr what you're trying to do with the One Race uh, Global Film Foundation, because yeah. you're trying to encourage people around the world to make films that That's show right. their lives. That's just right. Just say a word about what you're trying to do with, with this. Well, essentially, with the One Race Global Film Foundation, I'm kind of trying to give people... Uh, some of the advantages that I had because I had such an incredible father. Uh, and my father is responsible for teaching me so much about film. Um, therefore, I had a voice. The, the idea behind the One Race Global Film Foundation is to go into these impoverished communities and give them a voice. And allow and, and teach them how to make films, whether it's a minute or an hour or two hours, uh, that speak to them and speak for them. Um, and we started in the Dominican Republic four years ago, right around the time that I got the call about what would you do with the Fast franchise. Uh, and we're on our fourth year. Wow. Every year, Kids that have never done film are making product, which is like, for anybody here that's, that's here to kind of understand how I got to where I got to, product is the key. Uh, the wonder, what's kind of appropriate about the fact that I'm here at the Mac store is because really, if I had all of... If I had all of the resources that Mac allow you, uh, I probably would have made my short film multifacial 10 years earlier. <laughs> uh, I was still, when I did multifacial, I wasn't using iMovie. And I wish I was. I, I had to rent a, a, one of these old fashioned oh, flatbed. Steenbeck yeah. six reel editing bays. And I had to convinced my mom that it wouldn't be in the house for more than a month and you, you're literally cutting and splicing film but if I had the resources that are available now on Mac I mean anybody that's on my Facebook sees those little video clips that I do and they're all done on a Mac and it's me just doing the basic yeah by the way, you have almost as many fans on Facebook as Barack Obama. You're That's scary. Yeah. So are that you going to run scary. for president? In oh, come on. <laughs> and you did that um, T-shirt on a computer. Did this t brought this T-shirt today. 
uh, in celebration of Los Bandoleros finally being out. And, of course, it was, it was made on a Macintosh computer. Okay. So let's uh, take some questions. We have a question here in the third row. Oh, hi. I love your work. Oh, thank you. Um, can you talk, tell us how you got cast in Saving Private Ryan? Sure. You know, um, because it was sounding like you're unemployed, unemployed, unemployed. You know, yeah. And now all of a sudden you're in one of the biggest movies with one of the best directors. You're, you're 100% right. I was unemployed, 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 unemployed for 20 years. I had made this short film. The irony of this short film is I made a short film listing all the reasons why I was impossible to cast. I was in the short film saying, this is why you can't cast Vin Diesel for anything. A woman named Denise Chamian, who was a casting director working on Saving Private Ryan, had gotten this short film multifacial. I, at that point, was coming out of Sundance. I, at that point, was being introduced to the media as an independent film director. I was adamant about not auditioning for anything. I had stopped auditioning right after I went to Sundance, uh, right after I went to Cannes, because I had felt like I had auditioned for so many years. And it wasn't, I wasn't getting anywhere, if anything, my confidence was diminishing. Year after year, decade after decade of being unemployed, as you can imagine. So I put it all in multifacial. Denise Chamian sends Steven Spielberg my short film, Multifacial, that I made for $3,000, two and a half days, at these, you remember the, the, the camera rental place on 15th Street, and anyone know that one? On, 15th Street between 9th and 10th Avenue, or is uh, it 10th? Seco, F&P Seco. That's right. You got it. <laughs> He's good, guys. <laughs> he really is here with me. Uh, and you could rent it for a day, and if you rented it on a Friday, oh, you get it two extra You get days. the weekend for free. And, and that's how I made Multifacial. Denise Chamian sends Multifacial to Steven Spielberg. The next call I get is that Steven Spielberg has sent multifacial, and I'm like trying to make sense of this. I get this call from my agent about a month after Sundance. Now, just to tell you where I'm at a month after Sundance, I got back after Sundance and I didn't sell the movie. And at that time, when you went to Sundance, you had the fantasy that Miramax was gonna pay $10 million for your movie. I didn't sell my movie. So now I'm coming back home from Sundance like, uh-oh. I get the call from the agent. Steven Spielberg just saw Multifacial and he gave Multifacial to a writer named Frank Darabont who, as you know, did the rewrite for Saving Private Ryan so that Frank could write a role for you in the movie. So now I've gone from a guy, a kid in New York, seven years old, hustling to get work all my life, never getting anything with the millions of auditions that I did, 
And then I make a piece from my heart, multifacial. And next thing you know, Steven Spielberg is having Frank Darabont write the role for me for Saving Private Ryan. Hmm. And that's how that happened. Wow. I mean, I had nightmares before going to London. I was like, they're going to realize I'm just a bouncer. <laughs> Someone's going to get rid of me. But that's how that happened. Question over here. Yeah, okay, right here. Yes, uh, hello, good afternoon. How I'm are from you? West Africa. Nice. And back home, we really don't have cops pulling you over for speeding or bad driving. So fast race, car racing, all the time, that's what, that's what we do. So as soon as I saw Fast and Furious the first time, I was like, whoa, this has to go back to Africa. And I started thinking about how can that be possible, like a sequel where Fast and Furious will go to Africa. And next thing I know, China or Tokyo, Fast and Furious. So I was thinking about it, telling people about it, and they told me it can never happen because of all the controversy, the poverty going on back home. It's not gonna, Hollywood is not going to allow that to happen. And I was very glad that you said something about it as well. And how would you think about a situation like that? Like, let's say Fast and Furious go back to Africa and sure. then it goes crazy out there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a, that's a, a good question. Uh, what's interesting, and I think that you're picking up on, is there was probably that studio feeling about the Dominican Republic. The studio... What, what, we're, what we're not hearing is probably the studio didn't feel so comfortable going down the Dominican Republic, and that was all the more reason why I had to shoot Los Bandoleros in the Dominican Republic. I never thought of, of Fast and Furious going to West Africa. It is interesting. Uh, I... I but I think about shooting in Africa a lot, probably more than shooting anywhere, because of Hannibal the Conqueror. So I know that I will be shooting in Africa for Hannibal the Conqueror, which is, you know, a third century BC Carthaginian general, African general, that attacks Rome but I won't go into the whole Hannibal history because I could for hours and <laughs> never get anything done. Uh, it's interesting, and I will consider that. I haven't thought about Fast and the Furious going to Africa, but maybe... Well, people have been trying to figure out where the next one's going to be set. So Maybe. Well, there's yeah. already a bunch of countries that are, yeah. that are tagged right. in, the, in the trilogy, but, uh, but definitely something to consider. Okay, I think Great. we have one over here. Yeah, we have a question in the second row. Um, two quick questions. One, is there anything that was not in Los Banderos that you would like to put in there? Is there one particular piece that you still, if you had more time or more, it would be a feature film like, you, like they asked for? Or? Well, if, if I could shoot more, since you asked that question, only because you asked that question. When I was done shooting Los Bandoleros, I was never really done. I was given five days to shoot this. Two of the days were rained out, which means our production schedule, 40% of our production schedule dropped. 
I didn't want to leave. The other actors that were working in the film didn't want to leave. There was more story to tell. But, you know, we're part of this Hollywood industry and it's, it's a corporation that you got to kind of play ball with. And, and I don't know if they were nervous that we were getting so much product. I don't know, I don't know what the deal was, but they summoned us back and stopped us from continuing shooting. I would guess you would want to shoot like another week on that beach at the end of the film. Uh, well, it's uh, funny that you say that because there was <laughs> more to that. And that, that's actually super accurate. There were two pages of dialogue that were set for the beach scene with Dom and Letty that not only would have shed some light on Fast and Furious, but would have simultaneously set up the next two chapters in this story. So if you think of this Fast and Furious as a four, some people think of it as a one, because there's no number there. And they go, just like the Dark Knight can reinvent themselves from Batman, Fast and Furious can reinvent itself uh, to, to remain contemporary and current. So there are two other stories that follow this in my dream scenario, in the scenario that made me feel like, yeah, I should get back to Dom and this could be a wonderful trilogy kind of thing. So those two pages that I didn't get to shoot, that all the actors and the whole crew was dying to continue. It was a real interesting situation. Would have shed light on this a little, but primarily would have teed up for the audience in a real way the next two stories. The other quick question was, um, are you going to be doing any other sci-fi films? I have some ideas for you in case you were interested. <laughs> <laughs> well, right now as we speak, David Toohey, aside from the fact that he has a film that's being released right now, is scripting the next two chapters of Riddick, which are going to be very fascinating. Uh, and so we started working on Riddick about a year ago. Um, here's another piece of trivia. I'm probably telling too much. No, I, I, feel, I don't think so. I think I feel too comfortable here because I'm talking Go ahead, too no, much. Just, no, but Why'd you say that at the <laughs> Apple store? <laughs> yeah, okay, you won't tell. We'll keep this between us. Right. When Universal came to me and said, we want you to do this cameo in Tokyo Drift, My manager, Stacy Boniello, said, are you guys going to plan on continuing the Riddick franchise? And they said, we don't know. And so Stacy said, if you want him to do the cameo in Tokyo Drift, two things have to happen. One is you have to ha let Vin produce the Fast and Furious, which means be accountable for the story, be invested wholeheartedly in this next chapter of Fast and Furious. And the other is, if you're not gonna make Chronicles of Riddick, give us back the rights. And Universal 
did it. So because of that, David Tui right now is working on the script. What sci-fi were you thinking? Okay, okay, I okay. Got, I got my own. I'll tell you about it later. All right, all right, all right, all right. <laughs> Although you don't seem to be short on ideas. I'm projects. not short on ideas. I got, I'm short on time. I'm not <laughs> short on ideas. Okay, what's the question over here? Yeah. How you doing, Vin? Hey, man. I'm from Brooklyn. My name is Rich. Hey, Rich. And you know these, um, these movies, right? The first thing I want to ask you about the car movie. Is that really you hitting the gears, man? Man, did you see the DVD yet with me training? Oh, you didn't see it. Like on driving the D- school with Finn, right? On the That's DVD. Right. Yeah. That's right. Uh, they have some clips on the DVD. Uh, and this isn't a buy the DVD pitch, but this on the DVD, there's a driving school with me where I'm actually having to drive. Um, I, don't, I don't know if it's because it's been eight years since I made the first one. And because of that, technology has moved so far ahead that I didn't have to do every stunt. Or if it's the fact that while I was shooting Fast and the Furious, my baby daughter was being born. But something uh, made this a little less risky than the first one. But some of the casualties that happened had nothing to do with cars. I guess something that comes to mind is uh, the scene where I throw the guy out the window. For some reason, I'm throwing this guy out. I got to throw this guy out the window, right? You know the scene. You saw the movie. And so they put a camera on the outside of the window. You follow me? And so the only way you would see it's me is if my head went outside the window. What that meant was I had to break what they weren't really spelling out for me. (laughs) They just said, you got to get your head outside of the building when you throw this guy out the window. What that meant was my head was going to have to break through this window. And they said, you know, the guy, the stunt guy that's going to go out before you is going to take a lot of the blow. You won't even be scratched. And naturally, I got all scratched up because I foolishly put my head through a window. If you look at the scene where Braga is playing golf, if you see real closely, you'll see little scratches on my head that came from shooting the day before. Okay, um, you know, a lot of these movies, part one, part two, I like to say Hollywood is just cutting the grass. You know, you're right. You're dead right. And um, I just want to know if you're going to have another agent movie for us. Uh, another agent movie. Uh, you mean, is Triple X coming? <laughs> you goddamn right. <laughs> you know, <laughs> is Triple X coming? Triple X is probably going to be the next thing you see. Um, Sony. Uh, My partner Joe Roth on it uh, are all working um, tirelessly to make it a reality. Uh, A woman named Amy Pascal, who runs Sony, Columbia Pictures, has declared next November, but you didn't hear it from me, (laughs) that you're going to see Triple X. 
Great. We have time for one last question. Hi. Um, will Los Panelaros come out in Germany? It better. <laughs> That's a good question. Will it? <laughs> well, <laughs> I can tell you, iTunes comes out in Germany. Right. Okay. That's the cool thing. I mean, that's like super cool. You could see Los Bandoleros on iTunes. That's kind of dope, but whatever, you know. And we want to see Multifacial, too. Multifacial is going to be next seen on iTunes. Great. Okay. Thanks so much. This was really fantastic. Well, my okay. pleasure. My God. <laughs> Thank you. We want to thank uh, Vin and uh, Dave for coming down here today. Fast and Furious and Los Bandoleros are available on the iTunes store, so check them out. Uh, we want to thank you all for coming out. You've been a great audience. Uh, we'll catch you next time. Thanks. <laughs>